This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. We're back in the courthouse today. The, the trial for Christina Nuga is expected to start today. However, that may not necessarily be the case. Alex Pearson, uh, reporter for the Tim Bosma trial, of course, for CHML, is back in court. And uh, she joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to give us the latest. Uh, good morning, Alex. How are you today? Oh, we seem to have a bit of a mess up here. Okay. i tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll join here in just a couple of seconds. Uh, obviously, what's happened here is, uh, just for those who uh, have not been following this, and I can't understand that we have too many people like that, because this was obviously front and center for most of us for uh, many, many months, of course, as the uh, murder trial of Tim Bosma uh, continued uh, at the Johnson Pickett Courthouse. Uh, what happened as a result, of course, was uh, they, of course, were both convicted, uh, the two men that were charged in that case. And this is a, a spinoff of that, as you were. I think we've got Alex now, too. How, you there, Alex? Hi. Yeah, huh? sorry. Technology's failing me. Almost well, as my voice. Almost as much as your voice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you have been afflicted by the uh, the oh. vein of anybody who's a broadcaster, of course, is a sore throat and a little bit of laryngitis. So I appreciate you hopping in today. Uh, oh, yeah, no, my pleasure. Well, it's, it's like deja vu all over again. Here you are down at the mm-hmm. courthouse. What are you hearing? Because the story is obviously we heard over the last couple of days is there could be a plea bargain here. Yeah, I mean, that has been the rumor for some time. I mean, as soon as a, a Greenspan came on the case, I thought, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we got a deal on this thing because, you know, when it comes to high-profile cases like this one, or, um, you know, the Mutso case where four, um, you know, people, including three children, were killed by uh, drunk driving. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he got a plea deal on that. And so it didn't really come as a surprise to me. So that is what we are expecting, is that Christina Nugda will plead out to obstruction of justice, which is a lesser charge than accessory after the fact to murder. Uh, it carries about 10 years. Um, but, but, you know, there's a lot of debate as to what she would get as a sentence, and I don't think she'll get much of a sentence at all, if anything. Well, that's, yeah. that's not, that's not, you know, I don't have any information on that, but generally when you do a plea deal, Bill, you're doing it because you're trading back and forth, you know, we'll do this, free that, or, you know, tit for tat, etc. Just, uh, maybe we should backtrack just a little bit, and I want to talk about, a little bit about her part in that last trial, uh, but the charges against her now, as it stands right now, uh, what's what's the situation here? If this trial were to go forward with the trial, the charges that are pending against her now, uh, what what kind of jail time, if she were to be convicted of that, would she be looking at? If she were to go on trial for accessory after the fact and convicted, she could get up to life, which is very unusual. Uh, if in fact she pleads out to the obstruction, it carries up to ten years. Um, you know, but we'll find that out, of course, when we go in. Uh, it'll be interesting to see her demeanor uh, when she comes to the courtroom today versus what she was doing back in the early summer. You know, look, um, you know, I listened to Anne yesterday. She's much more generous than I am. I, I, this woman is bottom, bottom of the barrel, if you ask me, as far as any kind of character. This is a woman who you know, was on um, the stand for a number of days. It was really all about her. And she had the opportunity to do the right thing, which would be to essentially tell the truth. And that's all she had to do. And she remembered almost nothing. In fact, declared uh, as soon as she got on the stand, you know, I don't remember anything that happened before this certain date. And she wanted to make sure that no one uh, was expecting her to remember what happened right before Tim Bosma was, was killed. Um, you know, other things that she would do, she would laugh. It was kind of like just a really big hassle for her to be there. It was just such an inconvenience for Christina Nuka to have to be on the stand to answer such silly questions. I mean, of course, 
you know, she wouldn't ask her boyfriend why he pulled up with a huge trailer to pick her up. Of course, she didn't think to ask him where he was when he was on these so-called missions. Of course, she didn't want to know about anything. She was the least curious person on the face of the earth. I mean, hey, her boyfriend disappears for two or three days, and it's like, okay. I mean, she she was just lacking in so much humanity. She had the opportunity to show some compassion to the Bosma family. She didn't even mention Tim Bosma's name once. Not once did she show an ounce of remorse. She uh, struck me, and I'm, I'm recalling the conversations you and I had as, uh, as she was testifying, as you say, some months ago now. Uh, she, there, there seemed to be, as you articulated to us in those days, Alex, almost a disdain for the whole process from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fair characterization. I mean, she, she would laugh, you know, to, to sum up what happened. You know, she said, I didn't even want to be a part of this whole mess. Like, Tim Bosma being murdered was just so not her thing. You know, and she didn't want to be, you know, in this mess, which kind of, you know, it got a lot of gasps in the newsroom. Her, her indifference uh, to the enormity of what had happened and her alleged role in it, um, you know, and, and I often referred to her as, you know, the Dos Secos guy, you know, the smartest person in the room, um, where she really, I think, thought at times that she was outsmarting everybody. And she really didn't. You know, she would uh, use the wrong tenses. She would use the wrong phrases. She would mix up her cliches. You know, she revealed herself as a very young, very immature. But really, I think what what struck me most about her is her complete uh, selfish, um, and, and, you know, this is my diagnosis. She, she seemed rather narcissistic, um, which could be just, uh, you know, her young and immature um, ways. But And I might be tough on her, uh, but that's really what she presented that day in court, where, as Bill, you'll recall, Marlena Menezes, um, also who got herself involved in this thing, she herself was a very empathetic character. You actually believed her um, as she cried and really apologized over and over again to the bosses. You could tell that immaturity uh, and naivete uh, got her into this situation, whereas you got the feeling that Christina Nugda, uh, you know, knew exactly what she was getting herself into. Um, you know, one of the most striking parts of her testimony were when Della Millard had been arrested, and she then goes to his mother's house in Kleinberg, and, you know, instead of calling the police and doing what a normal person would do, which is to say, look, there's a trailer in our driveway, and I'm not sure what it is, but you should probably come, they go off to a hotel to hide from the media, because, again, it's all about them. And instead of, of... you know, going to the authorities, they decide to drink, co- you know, quote-unquote, copious amounts of wine and then come up with a brilliant idea that they would drive back to the house and wipe off the fingerprints that they had put on the trailer, you know, because that's what a normal person does. You know, you, 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 that, that's where the obstruct justice uh, comes in and, and, again, doesn't go to the police, but instead, I've got to get my fingerprints off because I don't want to get into this mess. There was a, an expectation uh, before she actually started her testimony that that maybe she should could and and maybe might set some some uh, a shed a light on on what was going on here because we they, they seem to be going around in circles and mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess to, to everybody's amazement, Alex, as, as you reported to us back in those days, she said nothing. She, she said uh, here's somebody who's, who's an educated woman. I mean, she's a university degree, if I understand correctly, and uh, you'd think that you know that she had some sense of of responsibility and and some sense of what was going on here. 
And and her testimony is basically, I don't remember anything that was said. I don't remember anything that was done. I never asked any questions. It, it's, it was incredulous, actually, for her to be saying those things, given the fact that she was so much part of that inner circle. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this is, again, where we come into the, you know, the, the, the portion of, um, you know, the, the criminal law. She, she was protected under a very specific part of the Evidence Act. She literally could have said whatever she wanted on the stand, as long as it remained truthful, as to what she knew and what happened. And she really could not have just, um, you know, been able to dot the I's and cross the T's, but given the Bosma family uh, a lot of closure and answers to questions that they, uh, you know, need to move on with their lives. Um, but again, she pleaded that she didn't know anything. She didn't ask. She was so uncurious about about anything of what her uh, rich boyfriend, uh, you know, did. And it, it just really struck me as as showing her true character that uh, this is a girl who thinks her looks will get her far, um, who can kind of just play dumb and yet try to outsmart everybody. Um, you know, she had letters that Della Millard had written to her, and not just one or two. There were over 100 letters written to her um, from his jail cell. He, they broke court orders. They were communicating, and she never went to the police. He gave her this DVR that had those damning visuals of he and Mark Smitch at the, the hangar just minutes, uh, you know, after that, uh, you know, Tim Boswell was burned uh, in the incinerator. You know, she had all that evidence in her possession and she never once went to the police and she truly never wanted to be involved in the mess she so-called then she would have gone to the police right away and and said look this is what was brought to me and help them with this case and instead she didn't so you know here we are uh, a couple of years later and you know she spent some time in jail but she's now going to be once again in front of the media and i have to say you know, I think probably one of the reasons she chose a, a different counsel, or maybe her counsel decided to end things, but she brought in Greenspan for a reason, and I think it's because of the crush uh, of media and the negative attention that she would have gotten uh, from her time uh, on the stand. You know, um, the looks will only carry her so far. She's going to have to live with this bill for the rest of her life, whether or not she gets some kind of deal today or not. It's it's her who's going to have to live with this. The uh, indication is, for those who are just joining in, of course, is the trial of Christina Nugent is supposed to start today. But the uh, this the rumor around the court in for the last couple of days, actually, is that there's probably going to be a, a plea bargain. Uh, even covering these things for years and years, Alex, what's what's the process? If, in fact, the rumors are correct and, mm -hmm. and this is what happens, I'm, I'm assuming there has to, first of all, be some sort of a statement from, from Nugda on this, uh, an admission of guilt. Uh, do, does, she, does she have to, to answer to all of the charges against her? I mean, it, what, what goes on here? Yeah, it's actually rather kind of uh, quick and um, it's not really fancy. They will go in and the uh, her lawyer and the Crown will enter a, a joint a submission to the judge saying, here, we've come to this agreement, this Christina Nugd is going to plead to this, and then she will stand and be asked, how does she plead? She will then say, guilty, uh, assuming that there's a deal. And then that's really it. And then we will have a, a reschedule of um, dates. She will have a sentence hearing. Uh, unless they have, of course, already come up with uh, um, a decision, which it won't be likely, but they, they will have sentence hearing, which at that time we may actually learn quite a bit um, about details that she has uh, either admitted to or denied. So there is still a process that likely, uh, you know, would that happen before Christmas? 
not likely she'll probably get to spend Christmas back home, but uh, we still have a number of uh, dates that we have to get to. So today is really about formally just getting this into a judge and saying, here's our intention. And then, of course, we come back uh, probably two more times. But there's no statement. Uh, there's no confession. No. There's been has, has there been? Any, I, I assume the only uh, indication that there's been any conversation at all would be between Greenspan and the Crown at this yeah. stage. Yeah, and there would have been a conversation between the Crown and the Bosma family, just alerting them to that this was the situation. Um, you know, and and it would be, I think, for them. You know, they also have to live with this, and are they going to be okay? You know, they, they um, obviously we've got, uh, you know, someone paying for this with Millard and, and Smitch, but, you know, will it be enough for the Bosmas to have her pay the price for what she's alleged to have done? I, I don't know, but I, I, can, I can tell you, as someone who's watched these families go through the courts, going through these trials is very, very painful, and having to relive this over and over again is very, very painful. So I think if they've come up with a fair deal, it will spare the Bosma family once again from having to to listen to all these terrible details. So there is some, I think, relief for the Bosma family so that they don't have to sit down here day after day after day. And, and of course, her troubles, Bill, don't end here. She's still part, and she's named in, in a civil suit. So, mm-hmm. you know, once she, she's dealt with this, then she's got to go through all of that. And, and all indications point to the fact that she's not a wealthy woman. I mean, she and her mother live in a, a modest bungalow. Um, I don't get the sense that there's a lot of money. So I'm also curious to know who's paying for Mr. Greenspan's bills because he's not cheap. Um, but, uh, it, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about not seeing this trial come to fruition, if that's the case, we will not hear from Della Millard's mother, who I think would have been called as a, as a chief witness here. Um, I'd be curious. We've always wondered and waited, uh, you know, to see what she had to say. Of course, she she did not attend any of the matters involving her son at the first trial, so we've never seen her. Um, but uh, you know, she may just have dodged all this kind of um, attention until the next two trials, which would be, of course, Laura Babcock and then Wayne Millard, uh, which are happening next year and the year after. Quick email from Jerry, yeah. who's uh, listening to our conversation here at uh, B. Kelly at 900shml.com. Uh, what about the fact that she broke the court order about uh, having contact with Millard? Is that included in the accessory after the fact? No, that would be a separate charge. Um, and, you know, when you come up with a plea deal, they just kind of remove all of that stuff. And then they'll say, look, here's what we're willing to plead to. And they'll go back and forth and negotiate. You know, here's the Crown will say, well, we want 10 years. And, and Greenspan would come back and say, no, we want two years or time served. And they'll negotiate that back and forth. But they'll put those submissions into the judge, and it will be the judge who will decide what is fair and reasonable. And that's and, an important uh, point, by the way. There's yeah. no jury. If, if there were to no. be a trial, this is just a judge, right? Yes, judge alone, which is always my preferred way uh, of covering these cases because it gives us a lot of freedom to report much, much more than we can than when a jury is present. So you can really almost say, uh, without breaching publication bans, which there still remain a few in place, but you can really essentially say whatever you want. So it's, it's, it's a nice freedom as a reporter to be able to, to really characterize what's going on and be able to tell people behind the scenes, you know, here's what we're doing. Because, uh, as you'll recall, Bill, there were so many delays and, and ta- um um, in, a, in the first trial that people were left wondering, is everything okay? Is something falling off the rails? Like, what's going on? There was a lot of confusion about that. That doesn't happen in Judge Alone. We can explain to you exactly what's happening. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. McMaster University investigating after posters were hung condemning what they called anti-white propaganda. 
Apparently a number of them were found uh, on the campus the other day. Joining us to talk about this is Gord Arbeau, who's the McMaster uh, Director of Public and Community Relations. Uh, Gord, first of all, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Thanks, Bill, for inviting me on. Well, let's, uh, let's maybe uh, set the scene here and talk about exactly what you found and where yesterday. Yesterday morning, uh, around 8 a.m., we uh, began receiving some reports of uh, these leaflets being found uh, taped onto walls, uh, in mainly in the McMaster University Student Center, which is sort of the, the, the center part of, of campus. Um, and uh, when we received those reports, we, um, we had our, our custodial staff and some security folks uh, um, move through the, the building and remove those that were found. And by the end of the day, they had, uh, they had removed and found about, uh, about 10 of the, these uh, leaflets um, and um, uh, as part of that sort of sweep through the buildings on campus. So I, I, I assume after you found these, uh, there was a search through the rest of the campus as well to see if there were any others in different parts? Yeah, it's, uh, the challenge, of course, is that it's a large uh, campus, you know, with uh, over 50 uh, um, individual buildings. So we did, um, uh, uh, through, uh, through the day yesterday, um, go through and, and, and try to see if there were any other, uh, any more of these, uh, these uh, flyers that had been uh, secured um, and, uh, and didn't find any. But over the course of, of the evening, in terms of our normal cleaning, our, our, it would be sort of common practice here for our custodial mm-hmm. staff to, to um, remove any, any kind of um, uh, poster like this that was not approved for distribution. And we didn't find any overnight, so, so the, the number is about 10. And again, I guess... It's probably not unusual to see things get posted at a university, the walls, et cetera, especially in a place like the Student Center. But it's, uh, clearly the, the concern here is the content of what's on these things. Right. So the, the content is um, uh, disturbing, uh, and certainly the university, um, uh, by removing them, also you know, condemned uh, the message. You know, the, 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 the point of McMaster and the point of the university is to be as welcoming and inclusive as possible and that on the campus itself, um, that by being welcoming and inclusive, there's lots of room for respectful debate and discourse around all kinds of issues. Um, but certainly these, this kind of uh, material does not align with those, with, with those principles, right? That, that the university is welcoming and inclusive. This is not a welcoming and inclusive message. Uh, the, 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 the university campus is a place for civil debate and discourse. That's not what this the message on this was. I mean, the good news on this is that we haven't had uh, this kind of incident um, uh, arise frequently in the past. Um, and so it's important yesterday when, when we received these reports to take um, immediate action and to remove them uh, and to uh, ensure the community that, um, that there was no place at McMaster for this kind of message. I also understand that there were um, some of these uh, leaflets found uh, in some neighborhoods in West Hamilton, and I know that uh, that those have been removed uh, by just regular citizens as well. The uh, report I saw, Gord, had mentioned that the university was uh, uh, under some pirate, trying to investigate. I guess uh, you, that, this is kind of a needle in a haystack, given the, uh, the you know the, the character of the university. It's an open university. I mean, I could walk down there and and, and you know do whatever you want. You have access. The public has access to just about every one of the buildings in the. So it's going to be very difficult, I guess, unless somebody actually saw somebody do something or somebody takes uh, takes the credit for this. That's correct. I mean, it is a challenge for our security um, team to to try to um, uh, identify the origins of these flyers. Um, uh, you know, on any given day, there are between thirty-five and forty thousand faculty, staff, students, and visitors that that come onto campus 
and through the buildings. Um, but we're um, uh, uh, investigating and, and, and trying to determine uh, if we can identify the origins of the flyers. I think the message, though, is that um, uh, if anyone uh, is interested in distributing this kind of material on campus, uh, it will be condemned and it will be removed. Um, and so um, uh, it's not a worthwhile exercise to, uh, to engage in because we will not tolerate this kind of messaging on our campus. What would happen in, in the way of an investigation here? Obviously, you have your own security staff and personnel there and uh, uh, that uh, patrol the campus and do these sorts of things, too. But I know that you often work in concert with Hamilton Police. Is, is that something that may happen here? Uh, I understand that we've uh, made Hamilton Police aware of of this uh, of these uh, leaflets, and I, I'm sure they were would be aware as well because they were found in the um, off campus in the neighborhoods of West mm-hmm. Hamilton, uh, and so that information has been shared. And you're right, we have a very um, uh, strong, productive, professional relationship with Hamilton Police, and so it would not be um, uh, uncommon for us to share. Um, uh, information with them uh, in this regard. And vice versa, obviously. I, I would assume they're carrying on their own investigation about the ones that were found off campus in the, in the Westdale area. Yeah, I would assume that as well, but uh, you need to, you know, sure. they would be able to, to confirm that for you. As, as you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, this doesn't happen very often. I mean, you know, the, the university is, by definition, a place for an exchange of ideas and debate on, on issues, and, and that's a healthy thing. How do you balance that, though, Gord? I mean, the university, you're right, has had some incidents. Uh, I can think of one a couple of years ago with, uh, I think, some students from uh, the Middle East that were concerned about some of the politics that was going on in the, the global theater, and there was some debate and some concern about that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough balancing act for a university to promote free speech and to promote dialogue about these sorts of things, but at the same time understand that there have to be parameters. I think that's true, and that's that's a challenge for every university campus. You know, the the whole notion of universities, the creation of universities, um, was around uh, a place, a, a safe place to have um, civil discourse, dialogue, debate, and to uh, and to con- have teaching, learning, and research conducted. Um, and so, I, I think we've done a good job at McMaster on creating the awareness around the expectations. Uh, for those that um, study here, that for those that teach here, for those that work here, and for those that might visit um, the campus, and and so the understanding that you know we are to be respectful, welcoming, and inclusive in our in our comments, in our in our actions. Um, that doesn't mean that um, that debate and dialogue is discouraged. In fact, it's welcomed. But it's done within a framework of of understanding that you know we we are to be respectful of others. And that uh, this is a, a, a safe place to have uh, respectful debates and dialogues, and and um, I think the um, the success we've had um, at McMaster is there in terms of fostering lots of debate and discussion, but doing so in a, in a, in a respectful way uh, is the result of work by many many people on campus, by by the um, by faculty members, by students. Who understand that we might not all agree on on issues, but that we that doesn't give us the right to um, to uh, be angry or divisive or uh, ill mannered in our comments. Is there an opportunity for the university to, to obviously this has already taken place, but to be proactive about uh, some of the unrest that we've seen in other locales uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, especially where there have been uh, protests by, well, they, they say they're, they're student protests, but I think it's a variety of people actually that are involved in these. Uh, is, is that a cause for concern at the campus right now? 
um, other than the, these, you know, this handful of posters, we haven't um, we haven't seen those kinds of activities here. Uh, certainly, there's been lots of discussion and debate around politics in general over the last number of weeks on on campuses in Canada and certainly in the United States. Uh, but we haven't had that um, uh, that those, those issues here. Um, and you know, I just use this opportunity to remind uh, the community that um, that there are. Uh, responsibilities to go along with uh, the right of, of civil discourse, and uh, and that um, we don't anticipate any any further types of these kinds of issues uh, in the weeks to come, because that's just not the McMaster campus that we all know. Is uh, the perspective right now that this is just a one-off, or, or are you anticipating that there could be more of this? Yeah, there's nothing uh, to indicate that this would that there'd be more of this. Uh, that uh, you know, as I said earlier, that. Um, the, uh, we acted quickly to remove them, and that if, if there are any others that are distributed, they'll be removed uh, as quickly as possible as well. And, um, but we don't anticipate beyond the, the, these 10 um, individual pieces that we found that there would be any more, and if there are, they'd be removed. Has there been any reaction from the student body about this? Um, I think this, the, the, I haven't heard from students on this. I think they would be um, uh, surprised that uh, this kind of material would be circulating uh, on a, on the McMaster campus, and I think they would be, um, they, but they wouldn't be surprised that we've we've taken the the, the quick action that we have taken. Um, you know, we're heading into exam period, so students are are very busy preparing for um, for the end of the uh, uh, end of the term exams, and um, and so um, I haven't I haven't heard any anything uh, beyond that. You mentioned that uh, that staff took these things down. Is that a policy that they just would take these down, or do they have to report this first? Uh, uh, what's what's the process there, Gordon? Yeah, the the general uh, policy around uh, posting of of uh, leaflets or flyers around campus. There is a procedure that um, if you are interested in posting something on a bulletin board around campus, um, it's um, there is a process to to get that that those materials uh, circulated. They have to go through. Um, uh, an approval process. Um, uh, the bulletin boards around campus are uh, covered in all kinds of uh, posters and leaflets, promoting events and uh, uh, lecture series and all kinds of things. Uh, the cleaning and custodial staff um, uh, are, uh, do have the responsibility of, of removing anything that has not been approved for that distribution system. Uh, and so through the course of any given day, they might find you know, a, uh, uh, a flyer renting an apartment in, in the neighborhood that hasn't been approved, so they'll remove those. And part of that is just to make sure that the walls and windows and public spaces aren't, uh, aren't covered in, in uh, material. So um, we do have that system in, in place to, uh, just to make sure that, you know, we don't have public space that's uh, littered with with uh, all kinds of uh, materials. How do you determine uh, if, if there's two pieces of paper on, the, on one of the bulletin boards, uh, you know, somebody just tacked one up there five minutes yeah. ago and the other went through yeah. the process, is there, is there some indication that you can say, no, that one doesn't belong there? Right. So the, the process that the, actually is run through the student union, there's um, uh, posters uh, uh, receive a stamp okay. um, um, that's placed on them and, and um, that indicates they've been through the process. and. Uh, and actually, the student union part of the service they run is to approve those posters and then help uh, post them and distribute them onto the onto the bulletin, board, bulletin boards around campus. So obviously, then as staff are going through there, they can look at that and say, "Wait, wait a second, right. that one doesn't have that approval, so it comes down automatically." Right. It's a system that has worked quite well for us because we don't have 
Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why these leaflets yesterday stood out, because we don't have, um, uh, for the most part, issues in, in our buildings uh, where we have sort of materials just tacked onto the walls or taped onto the walls um, that, you know, the system has worked quite well for us over the years. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Controversy at Hamilton City Hall. Well, that's not a news story, but uh, it was rather an unusual twist to this when a, a member of the one of the uh, committees, a citizen member actually, of one of the committees, uh, had a Donald Trump Make America Great hat again, which was sitting on the table in front of him for the meeting. A citizen member called him out on that after a couple of minutes, apparently, and uh, the individual declared a conflict of interest, picked up his hat, and left. Uh, It's raised an awful lot of concern, though, among members of the public and the city council. And Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberg uh, is addressing this, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Mr. Mayor, how are you this morning? Uh, very well, Bill. Uh, surprise, eh? Controversy at City Hall. I like the way you said that. Well, <laughs> I know, I know. Flash, you know, news story. Yeah, yeah, news never, story, yeah. never been yeah. done. Never happened before. <laughs> Breaking news. What's what's your read on what happened, Mr. Mayor? Uh, look, I mean, I, I had a nice chat with uh, Mr. Sirwatic yesterday and the chair of the uh, committee of adjustment, and uh, you know, he—I I think he had a lapse of judgment. To be fair, um, you know, he—he he, he said he acquired the hat just before he got there and uh, decided to bring it in. Um, um, again, he—he uh, he has uh, issued a fulsome apology and uh, now realizes that uh, this is a quasi-judicial. A body that uh, needs to be seen as impartial and uh, unbiased and non-political, and certainly any kind of political uh, statement, and this certainly was one of them, uh, would have been inappropriate. Whether it was a Hillary hat or an NDP hat or a Liberal hat or a Conservative hat, doesn't really matter. So um, he understood that. He uh, issued a fulsome apology. I, I, I appreciate that. They understand that uh, this is not something that belongs in a committee of uh, the city, especially a quasi-judicial one. And um, hopefully we'll move on from there. You, you mentioned the chair of the committee. Uh, this is the yep. Committee of Adjustment, by the way. And, and for those who don't understand the role there, uh, they hear, I, I guess it's essentially planning matters uh, that that, uh, that go before this committee. Uh, there are no city councillors on this uh, meeting. It's supposed to be arm's length, and it's run essentially by citizens members of the community. Uh, did, the, did the chair react at all to this, uh, this incident? Uh, was there any discussion about that during the meeting that you were aware of? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think the actions that were taken were actually uh, taken by by the individual, Dave Dave Sirwatic. He uh, he on on his own initiative said, uh, if there's an issue here, I will uh, excuse myself, and uh, you know took his hat and left, which I think was probably under the circumstances the appropriate response. Um, you know, given that there was some consternation about uh, you know his potential impartiality. I think he's cleared that up. Uh, you know, he's been, as I understand from the chair, a, a, a good serving member that. Uh, certainly brings a kind of an everyman perspective to uh, some of the issues that are dealt with at community justice which as you as you well know are you know issues that uh, are, are minor variances uh, you know uh, driveway issues uh, you know garage issues you know issues that uh, don't necessarily need to go to a planning committee but uh, need some flexibility to get the, get the job done so uh, I, I think he, I, I think he took the appropriate actions at the time and I think the uh, the chair, uh, you know, acknowledged that uh, that it, this is a, a, a good serving member and uh, had a lapse of judgment, and uh, and uh, we'll move on from there. Well, you and uh, a couple of your counselors, at least a couple of your counselors, expressed some concern about the incident itself, uh, yeah. and and as a result, uh, well, I guess there was no policy. So, how do you move forward on this? 
Well, we're going we're gonna to be asking our city staff uh, tomorrow at council to come forward with some, uh, some policy on specifically on the, the Committee of Adjustment, which, I, again, is a quasi-judicial. So there's, you know, there's a need to have a code of conduct for sure. And, uh, you know, appropriate behavior needs to be identified and codified and put into a policy form. And then some training uh, before people start these committees uh, to have them understand the, the nature of this work, which is, uh, you know, one step below a judicial process. Uh, is uh, is important. So we're going to ask our staff to bring back some policies for this committee and and all other committees to to ensure that we have a uh, a standard that all uh, serving members that are acting on behalf of the city of Hamilton, in fact, uh, you know, ought to be held to account for. Uh, is that legal? <laughs> have, do you have an opinion from your legal staff as to whether or not you can put those those kind of parameters on? Well, surely we can. I mean, these are these are people that are uh, they're serving uh, at the behest of. Uh, the city. Uh, they are they're appointed by the city council to do work on committees that uh, that uh, serves the city of Hamilton at the end of the day. So yes, we can, and I think many municipalities have simply adopted their uh, their councilor code of conduct and, and reflected that to you know boards and committees and individuals that are serving there. So that's a possibility. I'm not so sure that we have to uh, re- rewrite something entirely new. Uh, but uh, specifically on quasi-judicial ones, uh, there ought to be, uh, you know, very specific language in there that says uh, these, this kind of action, whether it's political, that the impartiality of the committee to, to give people a sense of comfort that they're not uh, dealing with people that have biases that, uh, that are going to be working against them, uh, that that, that, uh, that is in place and uh, that people are giving a fair and reasonable shot of uh, getting their committee of adjustment uh, hearings done properly. Is there a policy in place right now, Mr. Mayor, for, for the elected officials, uh, for you and, and fellow councillors, uh, yeah, uh, vis-a-vis yeah. this, this sort of thing? Uh, we have a complete code of conduct, uh, and it's overseen by the Integrity Commissioner. So any, uh, any infractions uh, will be adjudicated by the Integrity Commissioner, and uh, you know, appropriate uh, actions can be taken by him if he feels that there's been a contravention. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's obviously some, some latitude to uh, when and how that happens, uh, you know, so... I don't think in the course of you know normal debate or in the course of normal heated debate you want to get too animated about whipping out the code of conduct issues. But there's a line. There are there's a, a line of appropriateness. There's a line of uh, you know respect for uh, other individuals uh, that you're working with, and uh, and uh, respect for uh, for citizens out there that expect that uh, you know they're 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 hearing and and they're them being before any committee or a committee of council that they get due respect and uh, are proper properly treated and that the citizens uh, you know get the service that they they expect from their councillors and from uh, city staff uh, there's also a code of conduct for city staff which is separate and apart that's managed by our city manager yeah that uh, obviously jurisdictions uh, you you know you look after the elected people chris Murray looks after the uh, the staff or that's the jurisdiction there what about members of the public there's some concern raised in in some other jurisdictions not here yet anyway uh, about political signage things of that nature or hats such as this uh, for people sitting in the gallery is are, are there are there regulations about that as well well no i i don't think there are you know there's there's you know there's certainly uh, areas of decency and respect that we uh, we expect all members of uh, the public to uh, to adhere to, but you know council meetings are you know often places where people uh, indicate their protest, and we haven't denied anyone from doing that if they do it in a respectful kind of way. And you've uh, you've attended, and I've attended many meetings mm-hmm. where people, there were all kinds of placards and. Uh, 
as long as they're uh, they're respectful and they're dealing with the issue, that's fine. If they're not, then certainly I and the chair or anyone else can say, uh, you know, we, we want that that particular offending piece removed. Uh, is there are there rules governing that? It is a good question, and uh, uh, it is a question I'm going to ask our our city clerk and our staff. Uh, I suspect there are, but uh, right off the top of my head, I'm not. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't put my finger on it. In in situations like this, even you've been in politics for a long time. Do you, do you notice that things seem to be getting a little bit unhinged right now? That there's a kind of a different attitude now. Yeah. You know, I I mean the uh, the, uh, the 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 American election effect I think has certainly emboldened uh, a number of people with uh, you know varying views. And you know, I, I, I people are entitled to have their opinions uh, as long as they're not hurting anyone else. I think that's kind of the ultimate standard for all of us. Uh, and uh, what we've seen in recent days, uh, you know, is people that are, you know, looking to uh, to express their opinions. Uh, you know, many of them, which would be divisive or uh, racist or misogynist, uh, that they're more more willing to uh, freely uh, throw them out there because uh, they're they're emboldened by you know what the American experience and the Trump experience there in such a public way. Uh, I, I think it's very unhealthy. Uh, it is worrisome and uh, certainly something we're going to guard against. Uh, I'm, I'm going to speak often about unity as opposed to division and talk about, uh, you know, how we need to stand together and respect all races, religions, and, uh, and, and where people come from. Uh, immigration is a foundation of our country, and uh, surely we don't want to get into a position where we're picking, uh, you know, picking favorites and, uh, and, and one, one uh, you know, nationality over another. So I'm, uh, I'm particularly cautious of this. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of this, but uh, I certainly want to guard against that kind of thing starting to take hold and, you know, getting, giving people the opportunity to uh, say, say things that are going to be hurtful to people that uh, just isn't necessary. From a, from a process point of view, uh, when there's a meeting going on, whether it's a, a committee of adjustment or even a city council meeting, uh, whoever's sitting in the chair is essentially responsible for that meeting. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah. So, uh, will there be some sort of direction then for for those who are chairing these meetings to be cognizant of these these regulations that apply not yeah. just to the members of the committee but to to those that might be there as well? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we when we have a room full of uh, of people, uh, you know, attending a meeting, we uh, we generally kind of lay out some ground rules that says, you know, you're you're welcome to be here. Please, no shouting out and no. Uh, no major, major rounds of applause are trying to disrupt the meeting, and if they do intend to disrupt the meeting, then uh, we can we can actually shut it down and meet in private. I mean, that's the ultimate rule that uh, I as mayor have and that uh, anyone in the chair would have, that, you know, if we can't conduct uh, the, the business of the city in a respectful and, uh, and fruitful way and, and accomplish what we need to accomplish, then we uh, will do it in private, which is not something we want to get to, but it's uh, it's a... Uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, an opportunity for us to uh, to correct any kind of uh, unruly uh, behavior that uh, will upset the work of this city. In, in a related incident, uh, we were just on the phone just a few minutes ago with Gord Arbo from uh, McMaster, of course, about the incident uh, where they found these uh, these leaflets, these posters uh, around the university. We're understanding now that some of these things made their way out to other neighborhoods in Westdale as well. A rather disturbing incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard I heard about that. I mean, I, had, I haven't seen evidence of that. One of our staff members actually saw them, and uh, you know, it's the kind of uh, kind of racist. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I I fully appreciate that there's elements of that out there, uh, but we've been able to, as a society, I think, uh, 
you know, kind of override and, uh, and, and let people know that this is not appropriate behavior and not something that we want to see happening in our city. You know, and I think with, uh, when people see it, they should report it. And, uh, you know, the appropriate action ought to be taken by either our, our city staff, uh, not unlike graffiti. We don't want anything offensive out there that uh, is going to harm or hurt anyone. And uh, we will respond accordingly. And if it's uh, to the point where it's a policing matter, then, uh, you know, people need to speak up. And, you know, that, that's the one thing that I would encourage everyone to do, that, uh, you know, when there's, a, when there's an incidence of uh, racism or, uh, you know, disrespect for uh, women or other nationalities and uh, people are being set upon by anyone in any other group, I think people uh, have a responsibility to speak up and speak, up, uh, speak out against that sort of thing. And I, I certainly will be doing that, and I expect others to do that as well. You're also a member of the Police Services Board, of course, as the mayor. You sit on, well, you sit on every board, I guess, but also as a member of the Police Services Board. Is there a concern at that level about, uh, about this, this attitude that you were just talking about? Uh, we haven't really discussed it uh, at all at, at this point. I don't think uh, we're we're at any any level that we're at any, any kind of a crisis point or any kind of a, you know a situation where we have to take uh, direct action. But it's something that is certainly in the back of the minds of uh, all of the members and certainly the police as well. Uh, you know, you can't you can only assume that some of the uh, some of the reactions you see in the United States and the divisions that we see, uh, you know, are starting and could very well and, and may very well already be here. Uh, that we need to guard against. And so, you know, when when we see a firebombing of a, a mosque, uh, it's a serious matter, and the police respond uh, very aggressively. And and so does the public at large. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, back in the day when the Hamaj, uh, Hindu Samaj Temple was uh, firebombed back in the 9-11 days, that uh, the community really rallied together and said, you know, an attack against any one of us is an attack against us all. And, and certainly the police, uh, you know, maintained their uh, their effort to uh, get the perpetrators, and ultimately did. And uh, I think that's the kind of reaction that I think we want to see when uh, when we see any kind of uh, divisive, uh, you know, racist and uh, uh, attacks against any nationality, race, or or religion. Uh, we want to really stand against that. And uh, I think all parties, including myself and the police, are ready to respond. Uh, in kind to ensure that uh, we uh, we stand against this sort of thing. Back in those days, uh, former well then mayor Bob Wade uh, struck a, a, a multinational ethnic uh, committee. Of course, made up yeah. of community members. Here is that is that committee still in, in existence? Well, it, it, not not effectively, but we have uh, we have the prayer breakfast, which actually fell out of that. Uh, yeah. that uh, includes all of the nationalities and all of the religions uh, in the community. They all come together, and they all. Uh, come together to speak about uh, you know issues of importance in our broader community and and show a you know a sign of unity that there isn't divisions between religions and nationalities. There's actually unity and uh, demonstrated through the prayer breakfast each and every year. And, and once again, I think it's coming up in April, I believe, and uh, it is a really well attended event uh, that uh, you know really brings people together and gives us uh, that sense of unity that uh, I think we need to continue to. Uh, to maintain and and promote. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.